0: Well, church, as you are having a seat, (coughs) excuse me, great job, band. thank you all very much. Students, have a great time in class. See you, fifth and sixth graders. Um, If you would grab your Bibles, we are continuing in our series in Galatians where we're just sort of walking through the book of Galatians. We are beginning chapter four uh, this morning just to catch you up very briefly. Uh, Last week, we looked at this idea that we are heirs to the promise of Abraham. Um, So Paul is unpacking this argument as helping us understand that we no longer live under uh, the law anymore. We do not have to follow the letter of the law, namely the 10 commandments to gain favor and access to God that even before the law came, Abraham showed up and there was a promise given to Abraham that one would come from his seed and that we would all experience blessing from this one to come. And the one that Paul makes this connection to is Jesus Christ, our Lord. And now because Christ has come, from the promise of Abraham, we are now heirs to this wonderful promise that was made a long, 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 long time ago. And um, the law does not nullify the promise made to Abraham a long time ago. So that's the argument that Paul's been making. And he picks up here. And remember, um, remember when this was written, this letter, we tend to like, We compartmentalize things very, very easily and naturally, especially when it comes to reading and even reading the scriptures. And so when we come to Galatians, uh, when we see chapter four, a lot of us just like page break, new thought, new paragraph, the verses and the chapters were not there. Uh, Those were added later so that we could find things a little bit easier. This is the same train of thought that Paul is making. We're heirs to the promise and the promise is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we are found in Jesus Christ through faith alone, through grace alone, in Christ alone, now this. So here we go. This is where we're picking up in this idea. Paul continues. Um, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers As sons, and because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Formerly, when you did not know God, You were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years, and I'm afraid that I may have labored over you in vain. These are strong words. These are almost combative words that the Apostle Paul is giving. But Galatians 4, as we begin this, is wanting to do particularly, what's wanting to do a lot of things, but one thing in particular it's wanting to do is it's telling us who we are now in Christ. Paul is showing us our new identity. It, these are identity passages The world is gonna tell you all sorts of things about what it wants you to be, who it wants you to become, how it wants you to behave. And the world knows nothing of this identity that Paul talks about. But if you are an heir to this promise from the seed of Abraham and the Lord Jesus Christ, if you've put your trust in him, in faith alone, through grace alone, in Christ alone, then Paul is telling us, the scriptures are telling us that God has set you apart for himself. Catch this. Not as a good slave now, made to be obedient, but as a child, as a son, as a daughter. That's amazing. And when you know that, when you know who you are, when you can stand on that solid rock of a foundation as a son and daughter of the Lord Jesus Christ, um, I think we we can face anything. We can face it all when we really know that and believe that. When you know you have a father that has gone to those lengths to get you, to save you, to call you, to keep you you can face a lot of things. You can face it all because you know you're not doing it on your own. And when we get knocked down by life, and we get knocked down by life a lot. We talked about that last week. The stormy waters that we had out on. Um, Sickness. Uh, Losing a job. Losing a loved one. Broken, fractured relationships. Uh, A miscarriage. You name it, the world and its sorrows and the things that we walk through knock us down. These things, they knock us off balance. And sooner or later, if it hasn't happened to you in a major way, it's not if, but when it will happen. And it will hit you like a ton of bricks. And we will start to be confused about who we really are and where to turn to for hope. And does God, has he forgotten about me? Does he love me? We'll, we will start questioning uh, all sorts of things about our identity and where we're grounded and where, we've, where, where, where we belong. And it goes into meltdown when life hits us. And then we add into those things when, the, when catastrophic things beat us down and knock us to our knees, we add in our own sin struggles, our own things that we struggle with on a day to day, week to week basis, our anger, our lust, our um, lack of self control, all of these things that plague us in our sin nature, and we can begin to lose our way. We can begin to lose our identity. And here's, here's what happens to us when, when these moments come crashing into our reality legalism begins to look really, really appealing. Legalism, meaning my life is out of control. I don't know which way is up. I'm questioning my very identity. Maybe if I just obey like a good slave, then God will love me and I'll be able to get back on track. If I can do the right things, if I can grovel enough at the feet of God, then maybe he will think I deserve forgiveness and he'll let me back in. And we start to think not about the grace and the love of the Lord Jesus Christ, but about my performance and my obedience to how I live out this religious ladder. And if I can climb it in the right way, then maybe I'll get back on track. That's what Paul's combating in Galatians. That's what you and I grapple with all the time. At least I do. And legalism starts to seem so nice to us, especially, catch this, here in the Bible Belt, especially the kind of legalism that quotes the Bible a lot. That's real nice to us. Us Bible Belt folk, Southern Bible Belt folk. Because then we can justify it. But legalism, um, even when we're good at it, catch this. Legalism, even when we are awesome at it, and a lot of us are really good at it, a lot of us have been trained up for a long time on how to be good at it, can never heal your past and gives you no hope for the future. So, Paul's telling us that's what the story of the gospel is uh, hoping to sink into our hearts here this morning. Um, And what we need if we find ourselves trapped in this ladder climb of legalism and religious do-goodism, we need a fresh dose of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we need. We need that to crash into our hearts and our minds and our lives in a very profound and real way. Now, I wonder, um, as I was thinking about this passage, how, how you sort of think about yourself today. You know, after all, like, the life you've lived and the things you've endured, uh, the ways you've been sinned against, maybe, the life that you sort of have walked through and, and waded through and all the catastrophic things that may have come your way, how you sort of think about yourself and who you are really. And if we're left to our own devices, if we choose like our own identity, so to speak, uh, it leaves us in this sort of karma Christianity world that if we can just tip the scales the right way, then God will see it in my way, in my favor. But here in Galatians 4, what's so wonderful about this, what the apostle Paul is doing for us is he's saying, I'm here to tell you who you are in Christ. And this is what you can really bank on. This is what you can really sink your teeth in. You can push all your chips over into this corner. Uh, And in Galatians 4, we see two categories that Paul is spelling out here. Slavery and sonship are sort of the two ideas in Galatians 4, 1 through 11. Slavery and sonship. And each one, each category, each way to perceive yourself is sort of a self-understanding and a way to process all of reality and every decision. It's not just some spiritual, churchy language, but it's a way in which we approach all relationships and every reality, sonship or slavery. Um, And Galatians 4 is saying that God's purpose In the gospel is not that you, a disobedient slave to God, will finally, one day, maybe eventually become an obedient slave. That is not what Galatians 4 is saying. God's purpose is that you would receive the adoption and sonship and be his beloved child. That's what Galatians 4 is calling us to. That's what it's calling us to believe and also live in and operate in. The gospel is not saying this. Listen, you, uh, what a, you're a pretty miserable person. You're always dragging your feet. You're always stumbling. You're always failing. You never get it right. And you've been a foot-dragging slave all of your life. But there's good news. My grace will make you a really good slave. In fact, you're going to learn to love this one day. If you just kind of keep at it for long enough, you'll forget how miserable it really is, and you'll actually get good at being a good slave, and you'll get praised, and you'll really love it. And you'll be really good at this game. That is not the gospel. The gospel is God saying, man, you've really blown it. You missed the mark. In fact, you failed so badly that I'm changing the subject altogether. Um, I'm going to give you a completely new arrangement. I'm going to send my son into a world not to punish disobedient slaves, but to gather sinners and failures and people that mess up and bring them in to a whole new family, set them at my table, not as servants, but as sons and daughters, and bestow upon them my name and grant to them all of my inheritance and grant to them heaven itself. (laughs) That's incredible news. Um, That is an amazing exchange. And and through Jesus and for his sake, God says, I'm going to adopt you as my very child. Um, I don't want you waiting on the family, the rest of the family, like a slave or a servant as they sit here at my banquet, at my feast. Uh, I want you to sit down next to me and enjoy it. I want you to participate in it. I want you to feel the love of this family and experience it, not observe it, not wish you could sit down at it, but to pull up a chair because you're welcome and you belong. And it's like God saying, I've been saving the seat for you. Why are you running and trying to uh, bust the table so much? You can stop. You can stop trying so hard. You don't have to. Um, And for all of us that sort of have this idea in the back of our head, yeah, but if I don't, the hammer's going to drop. If I don't, he'll, he'll see where I've, I've tripped. And that's when he comes in with like uh, the big guy in the sky with a magnifying glass just to burn me. He's just, Galatians 4, he's not like that. That's not how he is. It's not how he thinks about you. It's not how he thinks about me. And so, Galatians chapter 4, verses 1 through 11, Paul is saying, Cast out those thoughts. God says, I'm going to tell you who you are. Your identity is here with me. You have a place here in the family of God. Because we are all justified by faith in Christ alone. In Christ, you're a son and you're a daughter, you're not a slave. Um, groveling makes sense for a slave, for a servant. Uh, But groveling has no place in the kingdom of God. Groveling does not make you more worthy of forgiveness. And a lot of us approach God as this If I grovel on my knees and beg and I'll show him how sorry I am, then he might bestow upon me his love and grace and forgiveness. That is not what God is waiting for you to do. Um, The law sort of took the lid off of us, it was Paul saying, and exposes our need for a great Savior. And God in his grace brought us into the family of God through his grace by this idea of adoption calls us now sons and daughters. So justification and adoption are like two sides of the same coin. Um, Justification is God's legal decree, like a judge will make a legal decree. Justification is this legal decree that we are now absolved of all of our guilt. And we are not just not guilty anymore, but we are actually counted righteous. Righteous. We are granted the righteousness of Christ. So our guilt is absolved through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and we're not just looked upon by God as not guilty, neutral. We're looked upon by God as righteous sons and daughters, right? So that's justification. He legally absolved our guilt and granted to us righteousness in Jesus. Adoption is the other side of that coin. So that's the judge like laying the gavel down and telling us who we are now in Christ. And adoption is like the arms of the father coming up alongside us and squeezing us and bringing us in. You're mine. It's the felt presence of the family and the love of the father. You're my son, you're my daughter and nothing will ever take you away from me. You bear my name, and I will always take care of you. Justification, the legal decree, adoption, that personal felt love of the Father coming in and granting to us that which we could never do for ourselves, squeezing you in. All right, we'll quickly think through um, these in a couple of ways. We're going to look at this paragraph as a whole, and then we're going to drill down to a couple of statements, and then we'll be done this morning. Um, The first thing, when we sort of look at this, this section as a whole, three things sort of clearly stand out as I was thinking about this. One, that God is for us in all that we could ever need. Verse four, God sent forth his son. Verse six, God sent the spirit of his son. So Think about this reality in your current condition as a believer in Christ. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit have been granted to you. The entire triune God is now for you, not against you. Right there, we see it. Father, Son, and Spirit. God, the Father, sent forth his Son. God, the Father, sent forth the Spirit. So, we can get rid of this idea that the father is this reluctant holdout, doesn't really want you, but Jesus has to kind of convince him to love you. That is not the heart of the father. A lot of us have this idea that like, oh, God is up there on his throne. Jesus had to come and he really hates us. So if it weren't for Jesus, God is this big scary guy and I can't ever really uh, know him or think he's for me. Galatians 4 just said, the Father sent the Son for you. And even more than that, he sent the very Spirit of God to live and dwell in you. That's the Father's heart for you. That's how for you he is. Um, One of the most famous verses in all the Bible puts this to rest. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, right? Um, Jesus isn't up in heaven trying to get God to take it easy on you. That's just not how it works. Second thing, God um, is reaching out to us in every um, relevant way and facet in your life today. Not just at church, we talk about God things but in every part of your life, God is reaching out. We think, we mistakenly think because of our sin nature that we have to convince God to get involved with us. Oh, if I just say it the right way, if I do this. That's another form of climbing the spiritual ladder. Right? You can think about the, the, the sendings of God. Verse four, God sent forth his son. Verse six again, God sent forth his spirit. The first divine sending was the sending of Jesus into our knowable world here in history when God sent his son, right, on that first Christmas. The second divine sending brings the Holy Spirit into your hearts so that we would know something profound, that you are a son or daughter of God. That's the second divine sending. Um, Third thing we see here in this passage, the amazing grace of God accomplishes it all. Jesus, born under the law, to do our obeying for us that we could never do. We who have let down God time and time and time again can now be confident with God because he receives us not by ignoring the law, not by um, circumventing the law, but by rejoicing. The Father is rejoicing in us because Jesus obeyed the law perfectly for you. without bending his rules of justice, without ignoring his conscience on sin, without lowering the holiness standard of God, God has joyfully adopted us as his very own children, and it's all grace. It is all God. It is nothing we have earned, but it's everything we receive. That's why the gospel is such wonderful news. that's why week in and week out, I just keep talking about it. And so long as I'm allowed to be up here, I will just keep talking about that. Because week in and week out, we just forget. And we jump right back on the religious ladder. Um, Verses 1 through through 3 kind of do a survey of the whole Old Testament. Paul is explaining what changed when Jesus came and overshadowed Moses. What changed was our place before God. And he says this, um, disobedient slaves were lifted by grace into full-grown children is the point he's making. And that change in our place before God, that change in our own self-understanding is so sort of jarring to us and astonishing to us and unbelievable to us that it takes a lot of time to get used to. Like, which is why we have to come and sing about it, and we have, to, we have to read the scriptures again about it, because it's so jarring, that reality that we are now sons and daughters of the Most High, that we have to sort of readjust our entire reality to it, because it takes so long to get used to. We literally, in this passage, need the Holy Spirit to actually believe that. That's why he sent the Son, and he sent you the Spirit, because without the Spirit, we wouldn't believe it at all and we would just live as disobedient slaves trying to earn the Father's uh, good standing. So Paul is saying to you, Christian, you are not a forgiven slave left in slavery to be be made good and obedient one. You are an adopted child. You are not a forgiven slave uh, left to eat in the pigsty. You're given the coat of the family and brought in and celebrated and loved and are given all the benefits of the family name. Now let's look more closely in our few moments we have left, verses uh, primarily gonna mean four through seven and we'll tie it in with the rest of the passage at the very end. Um, but when the fullness of time had come, verse four, God sent forth his son at just the right time the love of God exploded into this world in the fullness of time when God could have sent everyone to hell for our disobedience. He didn't do that. He sent forth his son. And he didn't add more law for you to obey, for you to figure out how to get it right. What did he do? He added love and grace and mercy found only in his only begotten son, Next phrase, verse 4. Born of a woman, born under the law. We learn two things here about the Son. He became truly human, like every one of us, born of a woman. Martin Luther brilliantly says it this way in his commentary on Galatians Christianity does not begin at the top, like all other religions do, it begins at the bottom you must run directly to the manger. You must embrace this infant and this virgin's child in your arms and look at him being born, being nursed and growing up. Isn't that beautiful? The gospel doesn't begin with us up where we ought to be. It begins with us down where we really are. The son of God came all the way down in born into a gutter in the lowliest of ways down at our level. And the only way he wasn't like us was that he was without sin. Which means he was even more human than we are. He was what he, a human should be in the garden, without sin. If you're a Lord of the Rings fan, it's the orcs versus the elves, right? He was an elf, right? It's super nerdy, I know. Look it up later. It'll thank me later. Probably not. He was without sin. He was more human than even we are right now. He lived the perfect life under the law for us. He died the atoning death under the law, was subjected to the law for us, provided everything required for us, and Jesus removed everything damning to us. God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, next phrase, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. The key word here is redeem. That means Jesus brought us out of our misery and our slavery. Uh, One translation reads, God sent his son to buy freedom to those who were under the law. The point is this, it wasn't easy for God to do this. It was very costly. Grace was not cheap. God didn't circumvent his own justice. God sent his only perfect son to bear the full weight of his justice on the cross. But he conquered it, rose again on the third day, and granted to you and I by faith alone all of his glorious inheritance, heaven itself, sons and daughters now. He paid for it all. That's how God gave us adoption sending his redeeming son was the length to which God went to bring us in. And God changed our entire relationship with him. It went from constant threat of failure and punishment and our own atoning works by bringing sacrifice even to atone for our horrible sins of rebellion against him to one of total acceptance as sons and daughters and did that which we could have never done on our own. It is all his grace. Next phrase. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Um, not master, Abba, Father, this is the phrase Jesus uses for God. Uh, It could be translated, it's this closeness, daddy, dad, papa. God not only loves us, he wants us to know that he loves us. We can call him dad we can bring him anything. We don't have to grovel. We don't have to beg him for, for stuff. He's a good, loving father. And you don't have to do anything to earn it, but bring your empty hands of faith. Um, so Paul is pleading with you this morning as we close to ask this most important question. Are you a slave or a son? Are you a slave to sin this morning? Maybe you've never received the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ here this morning. Maybe you've been in church a long time. You've tried to climb the ladder, and you're like, it doesn't work. It produces no joy, and I always constantly feel like a failure. That's what it feels like. You're right. But when you bring nothing but the empty hands of faith and you receive all that he is and all of his grace and you hear him call you son and daughter, I welcome you in, not by your own merits, but by mine, it's freedom. That's what Paul's talking about here. So if you have never done that, what a great morning to do that. There's not a magic prayer. There's not a certain way to do it. Just in the quietness of your own heart, you just repent of your sin And say, Jesus, thank you that you paid it all on the cross and that you conquered sin and death for me and that you now call me a son and daughter. And I want to live with you forever and ever and ever in glory, not by my own works, but by yours, Lord Jesus. And he will receive you. Are you a son or daughter of the Most High? The very end of this passage in 4, verses 6 through 11 or so, we don't have time to go through all of them. But Paul is basically saying, knowing this, why why are so many of you still living like slaves? Uh, Paul's like, I don't understand. Why do you keep putting the yoke of the law back on yourself and trying to get in good standing with God by your own works, by adding to the grace of Jesus? Why would you still live like that? Why would you still live in these elementary principles like you have a master over you? God has made you a son. He's invited you to the table. He's given you the family name. Sit down and enjoy the feast and feel the love and adoption of your good father. You are not a forgiven slave. You are not someone that's gonna be made to like it one day when you just do it enough. You are a son. You are a daughter of God on high, you are forgiven, you are welcomed in, you belong. Feast and enjoy. And let the family of God together collectively rejoice in this reality. That's the goodness of the gospel. That's what the Bible is calling us into to believe and remember our identities matter in all that we do. Uh, Come to Him this morning. If you haven't before, if you are a believer, Repent of uh, our backsliding and going back into the ways of religion and embrace the freedom and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and live in our identity as sons and daughters of God. Let's pray together, church. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, that it reorients our hearts and our minds. God, I pray that this would be a place and we would be a family of God together that would be a safe place to figure out how to live as sons and daughters of God. And that when some of us misstep, when some of us begin believing uh, in Jesus plus anything else that we could lovingly come back and say it is Christ alone, through faith alone, through grace alone in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that we together would just keep believing in all that you've done for us and that we would spend our lives rejoicing and praising and singing and reading of our great adoption as sons and daughters of God and that we would live it and we'd feel it and we would collectively live it out together. Lord, we love you. We thank you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and worship in church.